Well, when you consider that insulin resistance and high insulin levels in the blood are the drivers of obesity and the development of type 2 diabetes. So this is where our focus has to be. We have to try to, to decrease the amount of insulin in the blood and thereby improve our insulin sensitivity. And the most effective way, the powerhouse type of way of doing this, is eating in a shorter time frame. So as you were saying, Patrick, taking that time-restricted feeding, which should be the absolute bare minimum for everybody, of not eating for 12 hours and extending that beyond. So the more you extend that, the better improved insulin sensitivity you will have and the lower your insulin levels will be. This is the Diabetes Freedom Podcast, proudly brought to you by purenutrients.com, the type 2 diabetes specialists. Here we discuss the latest science to treat, prevent and reverse type 2 diabetes naturally so you can reclaim your health for a long, healthy and happy life. Welcome back to Diabetes Freedom. Pat Ridley here with episode four. And today we will be discussing intermittent fasting. And this is an extension from the last episode where we discussed the importance of when we eat, not just what we eat. So if you haven't listened to the last episode, I encourage you to go back now. In fact, if you haven't heard any of our episodes, I would start from the very beginning and then build your way up to this episode. And this is a very exciting topic, intermittent fasting. And once again, I am accompanied by Suzanne Ridley, my mother and my business partner, and she is extraordinary. She's a pharmacist of over 40 years. She has furthered her studies into clinical nutrition and medical herbalism. And I know that this topic today is just as exciting to her as it is to me because it is actually the foundation of her book that she authored, The Fast Diabetes Solution. Suzanne, How'd you like that intro? I know you're very humble and you don't like me to um, talk about you like that, but you are extraordinary. So I just wanted to say that. So today, intermittent fasting. Can you begin by just explaining what this is? Well, fasting is just simply when you're not eating. You're either eating or you're not eating. So every day, when you wake up in the morning, you break your fast because you haven't eaten all night. And we're just taking that a little a step further and extending those periods of time when you're not eating. And there's a lot of variations within that, and we're going to look into it. Adopting a fasting routine into your life has phenomenal positive effects. As we discussed last episode, the uh, the 12-hour feeding window, that model that Dr. Sachin Panda talked about and that we use as a foundation, that in itself is technically an intermittent fast because when you're not eating and then you're asleep, you're not consuming any food. Well, you'd hope you wouldn't be. So that is really a fast. Now what we're doing is we're venturing further beyond those 12 hours. I would like to just find out what type of benefits 
are we talking about? Well, when you consider that insulin resistance and high insulin levels in the blood are the drivers of obesity and the development of type 2 diabetes. So this is where our focus has to be. We have to try to to decrease the amount of insulin in the blood and thereby improve our insulin sensitivity. And the most effective way, the powerhouse type of way of doing this, is eating in a shorter time frame. So as you were saying, Patrick, taking that time-restricted feeding, which should be the absolute bare minimum for everybody, of not eating for 12 hours and extending that beyond. So the more you extend that, the better improved insulin sensitivity you will have and the lower your insulin levels will be. And with that come the improvements in your your weight. You will naturally lose weight. You will have much improvement in your actual type 2 diabetes as those sugar stores are emptied and your cells can become more sensitive to the insulin. So there's those benefits. Then there are the other benefits that actually people feel really good. You know, a lot of energy goes into digesting food. And when you're not putting that energy there and your body um, is going into fat burning rather than glucose burning, there's a clarity of mind that comes with it. People feel energised. You know, you've only got to go back to the... um, to, to the great philosophers of all time, like the, you know, Plato, Aristotle, the, the father of medicine, um, Hippocrates, and all of them fasted. They all knew instinctively that fasting brought great benefits. I doubt that any of them were actually type 2 diabetic or insulin resistant, but they knew that fasting made them feel good and gave them that clarity of mind that they required. So... When now this is interesting when you say, and I don't want to jump ahead because I know we've got some really good myths that we're going to completely tear apart, shatter, so that everybody knows exactly what is what when we're talking about fasting. But you're saying clarity of mind, and I couldn't resist because this is a big one, and I hear it a lot. People feeling that if they don't consume food, they're going to lose their focus. So can you address that? It's absolutely quite the opposite. You know, um, when your body, and we are jumping ahead a little bit, but when you fast, eventually your body starts using its fat stores and and they're, they're converted into ketones and that's what the brain uses primarily as energy in that state. With that, there's a big thing that happens. Inflammation is reduced. Ketones reduce inflammation. And the brain loves to use ketones as its, as its source of food. This is what they did back in the hunter-gatherer days. You know, when they, when they couldn't get food every day and, they, you know, to, to get energy to move and they, they needed clarity of mind, they had to go and grab that, that woolly mammoth or whatever they were eating. And to do that, they needed energy. They needed clarity of mind. They couldn't lack focus. So this is an evolutionary thing. We've been doing this for since millennium. So the body, the brain would go into using ketones, they would feel focused and, and they, they, they would be, you know, have clarity of mind. And that's exactly what you will find if when you stop overeating and start restricting your food. Yeah, and I like how you said this is exactly what you will find because... The only way to know is to do it. 
and to experience it. So the proof is in the pudding. When you do it and you feel the opposite to what you first expected, that will prove that all of those things are just hyped up fear. And then when you start to feel better and you get those improvements with your type 2 diabetes, you'll start to really notice that you're on the path to diabetes freedom. And that's why we're so excited about intermittent fasting because it is, you know, it is the fastest way to improving your your diabetic condition alongside of course the foundation of focusing on what you're eating and the removal of snacks and within a 12-hour window i just like to add in as well why is it so important that we understand this now the national health and nutrition examination survey they showed that in the 70s Now, you know, I was growing up into the 70s and I recall this well. People were eating three meals a day and they were doing that over generally a 10-hour period. That's how we lived. There was no snacking or maybe some people snacked, but snacking was not the common, you know, thing that happened. So and now they've looked at what's happening now. Well, now people are eating five to six times a day, and they're eating it over a 16 to 18 window feeding time. You know, this is incredible. No wonder the blood insulin levels are are up. So this is what we need to change because they've shown that in studies that if you only eat once or twice a day, instead of eating three to five times a day, your blood insulin levels are reduced by 25% to 50%. And that's not even talking about what you're eating. And, you know, you were saying, well, like when you grew up, you know, in the in the 70s, that, you know, people weren't, you know, predominantly snacking all the time. But let's look at intermittent fasting. This is nothing new either. You know, this has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. It's embedded within religions and spiritual practices. And, you know, when you go into theatre, say for surgery, your doctor will tell you to uh, stop consuming food prior to going to surgery. So there is nothing really inherently dangerous about this practice. And we are going to explore this thoroughly. Just before we do, Suzanne, can you address who should be fasting and who shouldn't be? Well, let's look at the ones who should not be fasting to start with because this is important. Children should definitely not be fasting. Pregnant breastfeeding women don't fast. Anybody who has a a low BMI, like they're not carrying much fat on them, they say a BMI of under, that's your, um, your body mass index under about 18, you definitely should not be fasting. You don't have the fat stores. And you don't need to. You're not insulin resistant, you know. Um, Anybody who is recovering from surgery or who is, um, you know, has illnesses, they should not be fasting. And And a very special point I want to make to you is that if you are type 2 diabetic and you are on medication, then you should not fast unless you have a physician who is 
going along that path with you and making sure that your medication has been adjusted because you will need to lower your medication, particularly insulin and the medication that stimulates insulin production from your pancreas because your insulin blood levels are going to go down and you're not putting that glucose into the blood and that's what you want, but we want it to be done safely. So unless you've got that physician on hand that you're doing your blood sugar tests, you know, four times a day, you're watching your blood pressure, then do not fast. For those who should fast, anybody who is obese or even those who, um, who, who just want to feel a lot better but, have, you know, they're, but they're not too lean, anybody like that can benefit. And definitely those who have type 2 diabetes because this is the way to accelerate your results. Virtually most people can fast and it's accessible it's free. We're not saying it's easy, though. I have to say that. Okay, you're going to feel a lot better. But for some, you know, it's a bit of a path. Well, I think it can be easy, and especially the way we will show people to, uh, to, to begin. For some, it can be a challenge. But, you know, I think once you, you do it enough, it becomes part of your life. And it's then, like for me... I don't even think about it. So you can't get more easy than that. But I like what you said, you know, really everyone uh, should be looking at this as a long-term improvement for their health unless you are one of those people that you mentioned. You know, if you're really sick or you're underweight or you're pregnant um, and if you are taking medication that lowers your blood sugar levels, you need to do it with your doctor so they can – lower them down because that's the end goal remember you want to come off you off the medication so you should be embracing it okay thanks for that so now let's get into the juicy part some of these myths because i just hear it all the time people are scared of intermittent fasting they feel number one that it's dangerous also that you're going to be incredibly hungry So if you do this, you're going to put on more weight that you're going to all of a sudden start picking out on all this food and then you're just going to eat more calories than you would normally. So can we just look at that one? What's going to happen with your hunger? Well, I think no doubt people are going to feel um, hungry at some stages. There's no doubt about that. And some of that is simply controlled behaviour. We're used to eating three meals a day. Some people never miss a meal. So all of a sudden you've got to adapt to this idea. So some of it's psychological and some of it also is your hunger hormones that go up, your ghrelin hormone that will go up around your meal time because you're used to eating. But recognising that these hunger, hunger pangs come in waves is a really good thing to know that you know that you're not going to be hungry all all the time. It's going to come and then you ride it out and it goes. That's the time to get yourself busy, have a nice big glass of water, make a cup of coffee and know that that's going to change. And the studies have shown that after a couple of days of fasting, your ghrelin levels actually go down and people stop being hungry. And people who have been on really extended fasts, they actually don't feel hungry, which is very surprising. As to the safety of it, we've said many times, or you and I have said, that this has been going on for forever, for millenniums. 
if you follow our our instruction about who shouldn't fast for the rest of you, it's absolutely fine. Well, and that's what I experienced too when I did a I did a fairly extensive fast. So just to paint the picture, I'm fasting at least two two or three times a week. When I say that, I do some dinner to dinners and I do some uh, like I, I might skip skip breakfast and I just change it about to suit my lifestyle. But uh, one time I went, right, I'm going to give it a go because I need to experience what this is going to be like if I can help and guide other people down this path. So I did uh, about five, five to six days and my experience then was, and I hadn't done a lot of fasting previously, that initially uh, I'd say the first day was okay. I got hungry at night time. So it was dinner time and my body was ready to eat food. I went, no, and I was hungry. But what I did is I drank some water, I watched a movie, and I went to bed. Surprisingly, I woke up and I didn't actually feel that hungry. But then it did hit in the morning at probably around 9, 30, 10 o'clock. Now, at the time, I was working and I was a driving instructor, so I was in the car, and so I could remain focused on that, and the hunger went away. And then it did come back in full force, and I was pretty ravenous, but I dug deep, and I pushed through it, and it went away. Now, after the two, um, say the, the second and third day, it's exactly what you're saying. The third day, definitely, these hunger pangs just came in little waves and they were not as intense as I experienced initially. So what does this mean? It means if you can just hold tight, focus on the end goal and ride that wave out, it becomes easier and easier. So if you're doing a longer fast, I guarantee you will notice that you do not feel hungry, especially in like the back end, but the day three, day four, day five. And that's if you're going that long. We're not saying you have to. So just wanted to make sure that everybody understood that, yes, there will be some hunger initially, but now when I do it, I actually don't even think about it. I'll go all day without eating and have just dinner and I don't even feel hungry. All right, so another myth here which we hear a lot too is about well won't my body start turning on my my muscle mass if i'm not eating the, the body will have to get um energy from somewhere and it will turn on the muscle mass so can you debunk this one well studies have shown that that is just not right there's a book that was written by um, McHugh and he called it the physiology of fasting starving and food and in that he actually showed and it's been tabulated that over and he looked at a 35-day fast and in that time it clearly showed that the body was switching from carbohydrate metabolism for energy into fat for energy and the protein which is what your muscles made up of was spared there wasn't a muscle um, loss and the reason for this is that when you're fasting your growth hormone goes up and your growth hormone tends to be quite high as a child because you're building, you know, you, you, you're, you're expanding and putting on weight and you're growing. 
And as you get older, that growth hormone goes down. But when you go into fast, and this is a really great anti-aging type of thing, the growth hormone goes up and that keeps your muscle mass. Your body's not looking to the muscle to get energy when it's got all this fat to use, you know. So first of all, it's going to use up the glucose and then it's going to go and get you, and it's going to utilise the fat. Yeah, exactly. And if you look at it just from um, an evolutionary standpoint, it would be absolutely ridiculous if the body started turning on the muscle. So say like caveman days, no doubt they didn't have an abundance of food uh, 12 months of the year. And as soon as their body has no food going in, if it was to then start to turning on the muscle, how could they be catching uh, food? It's ridiculous. Um, and of course, this will happen long, long term. That's what happens when somebody starves to death. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the body changing the energy source. So it will deplete the body of sugar stores. Then it will turn to the fat stores. Because remember, that's what the fat stores are there for. The fat stores are there to give your body energy. That's why your body stores it. So it's ridiculous to think that it would go to the muscles first when you have that fat there. So I think we can put that to bed. And I mean, I understand why people, you know, will maybe think that because you hear it everywhere. You hear it, you know, but I think if you, you look at it through a closer lens, you can start to make sense of it. And another point that I'd like to point out is that there's been a trend for bodybuilders to actually use fasting to build their mass. Now, these people are not going to be doing fasting if they're going to be losing muscle. And the reason they do it is because they know their growth hormone goes up, their basal metabolic rate goes up. That means they're not tired, they're not losing muscle, they're actually building muscle. And these people are using this fasting as a tool. And also, I just wanted to comment that when I was doing it, I was also doing some workouts. And I didn't do my workout on day five, admittedly. But I was doing a weight training on day three of my intermittent fast. And I, I actually did feel fine. Yeah, I, I, I did. So... Again, the proof is in the pudding. You do it and you, you test it out for yourself. Now, look, everybody will be different and you will experience your own, the way it feels to you. But overall, it's going to be a safe and enjoyable experience, especially when it's placed aside that scope of you being free of diabetes forever. So I guess the thing to say to everybody as well, like when you said, you know, it's different for everybody, and that's exactly right. And, and if you're worried about it, then you can always stop. If you're not feeling well or, you know, you, there's no reason why you have to continue. You can always stop and start again. It's a process, and you'll get used to it. As you were saying, forming habits, forming new habits. Okay, now before we go into how to do it, because we're going to lay that out for you. Can we just have a good look at what is actually happening? So from day one all the way through to an extended fast. 
Right, so what, if you look at when you're eating or you're taking in food, it's being converted, it, it, um, the blood glucose levels go up, the insulin comes from the pancreas and that, and that glucose is stored in some muscle and then goes to the liver where it's stored as glycogen and then excess goes into fat. So that's when you're eating. When you stop eating, that first 6 to 24 hours, your blood glucose levels are going to go down and your insulin levels, your blood insulin levels are already starting to fall because you don't need the insulin. There's no glucose going into the blood from the food. Then we get into once you hit 24 hours to two days, a process called gluconeogenesis. That means creation of glucose takes place. And this, in this time, your glycogen, or actually even earlier, those glycogen stores in that first 6 to 24 hours, they're, they're being converted back into glucose. This is a really easy form of energy. So they're being con converted to glucose, and that's providing energy. Then when you get from one day to two days, the, new, the glucose is coming from your amino acid stores. Because remember, when you have excess protein in the diet, it gets stored in the liver and gets converted into glucose. If you take that fast that bit further and you go to two to three days, the process of ketosis steps in. So you've got nice low insulin blood levels by now and this is going to stimulate that your fat stores are going to start to break down. Because don't forget, if you've got high insulin blood levels, you can't access your fat. So here we are, they've got nice low insulin blood levels, so we're starting to stimulate that breakdown of fat. And when you look at the fat, it's a molecule that has a glycerol backbone and there are three fatty acids coming off that. So when it breaks down, the glycerol backbone comes out and that gets formed, gets turned into glucose and this keeps your glucose blood levels within a normal range. And that's a fear that some people have. It's going to go too low, but it's not. Because that glycerol from the fat is keeping that blood glucose in a good range. And then those three fatty acids that broke off, they're providing energy. And the body's using those for energy. And it's those fatty acids that get converted into ketones. And these ketones can cross the blood-brain barrier. And that's what's giving your brain energy. So if you extend it even further, after four days, well, your body's primarily using only ketones for energy and they're even looking at this stage after four days, people think, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be so fatigued, I'm going to be terrible, I'm going to get out of bed. But they've shown that your, your BMI, like your resting energy expenditure has actually increased. It's by about 12%. And this is because of the hormonal changes that are going on. Adrenaline's gone up, growth hormone's gone up. And then after five days, for those of you who make it that far, we've got high levels of growth hormone. And that's just maintaining that lean body mass, that's your muscle and your bone. So they're not, they're not breaking down at all. And your energy's coming from, that, from those fat stores that have been converted into your fatty acids and your ketones and your glycerin. So that's what's going on. Another very important thing to tell you about is a process called autophagy. I just love this idea. This is called autophagy is what they call biological recycling. 
And this kicks in about day three. In this process, the body actually goes and uses up and burns up old and damaged cells. It's the most profound way to bring a, like for anti-aging. And this autophagy kicks in about day three. So what we've shown you here is the body changing its fuel sources. It's going from burning glucose, which is what's happening when you're having a lot of carbohydrates and processed diet. It's changing that fuel store, source to fat and it's using up your fat stores. That's a great breakdown. Now, are there any scientific studies that demonstrate what we're talking about? Well, there was a study published in the Cell Metabolism in 2018, and this study was done at the University of Alabama. And it was only a small study, but it was very relevant, and they just looked at what happened, and it wasn't even big fasting, when they just took people from eating 12 hours a day and got them to eat eight hours a day. So they took a small group of people, they were obese, pre-diabetic men, and they got them, some of them just keep eating with that 12-hour window period and some eating in the eight-hour window period. After five weeks, they showed in the men who were eating in an eight-hour window period that there were dramatic lowering of the insulin blood levels and that the cells had become significantly more sensitive to the insulin. And interestingly, that these people had decreased appetite. So just imagine what those results would have been if you extended that even further. You know, that was only a 16-hour fast. So that was very heartening to see that. Then I have other studies that were showing, there was a fasting study that was just showed what happens when you alternate day fasting. Now that's, you know, like one day fasting, one day eating, one day fasting, one day eating. Not terribly hard. And what they showed was that there was a decrease in the body weight of 6%. The fat mass went down by 11.4% and there was no change in the, the muscle or the bone. That's also very encouraging. Yeah, that's great. And, and that is really what we need, the data from scientific studies to really encourage you because you know, I can understand how it can be uh, challenging to know who is right when there's so much confusion and misinformation, people are saying one thing and someone else is saying something else. So number one is you know, do your own research. Don't just take our word for it. Have a look at some of these studies and then dip your toes in and give it a go and just feel the results yourself. And that's what's going to give you the confidence. So Suzanne, now how can somebody listening to this start this, start their own intermittent fasting regimen? It's going to very much depend on, on yourself and how you feel about it. Some of you will be so keen, you just throw yourself into a three-day three fast or a five-day fast, whereas others are going to think, oh, I don't know, I might just skip breakfast today. And that, that's a good start. You know, you've all got to start somewhere and, you know, you, you can change that. This is just the beginning for you. What I personally think is a great idea, I think it's great to first to get your diet under control, that you've eliminated those processed foods and the sugars so that your body's not going to be screaming out for carbs. You know, so if you can do that and already have yourself not snacking, 
in between that 12 hour window period, that's going to be a lot easier for you. But you know, that's up to you again. For those of you who say, no, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to just try anyway, well, that's fine. It'll be a bit harder. You might have some headaches, you might have, you know, some hunger, etc. But it doesn't mean you can't get through it. So it's going to be very much up to yourself. I, I do think once you start the start these the fasting, the 16 hour, so you eat within a period of eight hours and fast within the 16 hours. I think that's a very doable start, and you're going to get good results even with that. Yeah, I agree. I think if you're unsure or if you want to give it a go, but you just don't know if you're better to make it, you know, to like say a whole day, the 16 hour fast is definitely where you should begin. And that is very simple because the majority of it, you're asleep. So let's look at our 12 hour window, which, which you should already be doing. So let's say you start eating breakfast at eight and then you finish by 8 p.m. that day. Then you're up for a few hours, you go to sleep, and then you would normally be eating, say, around 8 o'clock. Let's just push that breakfast out to 10 o'clock or 12 o'clock, sorry. So then you're just basically skipping breakfast and having lunch at 12. So that'll be your 16 hours. And as Suzanne said, if you feel that you just can't make it to 12, well, then you yeah, have some food. But it might be 10 o'clock by that time and you've actually done an intermittent fast. So pat yourself on the back. That's the main thing, that you're enjoying it and you are feeling good and positive about the path ahead because this is really a lifestyle and it's not just a one-off thing. So having said that, Suzanne, if it's going to be something that we will be incorporating in our life, what can somebody expect? How often should they be doing it and what would that look like? I think it depends very much on how insulin resistant you are, how long you've had diabetes or pre-diabetes for. You know, if you're just doing it for health reasons, you know, to make you feel, so feel good and clarity of mind, well, you know, it's up to you how often you do that. But if you're doing it to actually decrease your visceral fat and to improve your insulin sensitivity, then you're going to be needing to be doing it fairly regularly. Alternate day fast is a great idea. 36-hour fast a couple of times a week and you'll get results. I think what you'll find also is that sometimes people start doing it and they plateau and that just means you need to mix it up a bit, you know, because your body gets used to things. So you might do a 16-hour fast, then you might go and do a 36-hour fast, then you might have a 24-hour, just mixing it up a bit and you might even go feel you can actually go to that four or five days. So it's just very depending on your results, really. The one that I find very easy to uh, to do regularly is the dinner to dinner. So yeah, you have dinner and then you don't eat throughout the day until the dinner the following day. So that's really easy. And then you might not do any, any intermittent fasting for another four or five days and that's okay. And then you might say, oh, time to do it. I'll skip breakfast for this one. And then another two days goes by and you go, okay, I'm going to do another dinner to dinner. And that, can, that is so achievable because let's remember, this is placed upon your 12-hour window and no snacking and delicious, healthy, diabetes-friendly meals. So what I think 
something you, you know, you touched on there, this has to be something that fits into your life. You don't want to have a miserable life that's all around, oh, I can't do this and I can't because I'm fasting. It's got to fit into your life. Like if you have a social event, a wedding, you're going away the weekend with friends, you're not going to be going, well, you know, I'm fasting this weekend. <laughs> you know, it's got to be surround yourself with people who are like thinkers. You don't want the negativity around you. Sometimes it's good not to tell your fellow workmates that you're fasting because they'll all just tell you the reasons why you shouldn't. So mixing it up, fitting it into your life, surrounding yourself with people who are positive, and some of them may even come on that journey with you and get into the fasting. Well, that is a big thing because doing it as a group, so that is going to give you a lot of success because you have that encouragement from your peers and you will start to share your, your little wins. And it becomes much easier. And and really, that's the idea of our uh, diabetes recovery program membership that we have is that you know, people are doing it with others who are experiencing the same things. And we, they all share a common goal. And in that way, not only make long, long life friends, you support each other through the ups and downs. And... I 100% agree with you, Suzanne, to find like-minded people and to do it with them. Now, I would like to talk about how somebody would break their fast, especially if someone's, say, doing a three-day fast and beyond or even two-day fast and beyond. It's important that you don't go in and and sit down to a a big meal, you know, it's really common sense. Like, you know, you can, some people will use after extended fast, bone broth or vegetable broth or just a nice soup or a, a salad, but don't go eating big meals, overburdening your system. It's not used to having food in it. Just go nice and easy and get yourself back onto your diet. But that's extended fast. If you're only fasting for 24 hours and that, it's it doesn't, it's not so important really. Just go back to your nice low-carb, healthy diet. And what can people consume while fasting in terms of fluids? Yeah, that, this is really important, and it's amazing the difference it can make. You know, coffee is a, it's a great thing for you to have. Just don't add sugars to it or artificial sweeteners if you can help it. You know, certainly no sugar. Stevia if you really can't bear to have nothing in it. Um, and even just a dash of milk but no more than about a tablespoon of milk. Tea's great, green tea. It's actually shown to to help with appetite. It's got lots of antioxidants in it. Black tea as well is absolutely fine. Make sure you're keeping yourself hydrated, that you're drinking plenty of water. And water has a a satiating effect. It it, makes the the stomach swell a bit, which helps with keeping the hunger pains down. And something else that I'd recommend is to be including salt in water if you're having an extended fast. So you'll hear people say your sodium levels will drop, and that's essentially salt. Uh, You probably don't need to worry about it over a 24-hour fast, but anything beyond. Now, if you're using, say, vegetable broth or bone broth, well, you can easily add salt to that, but I think you'll probably get that in the vegetables or uh, the bone broth itself anyway. 
Yes, you will. That That's absolutely right. And you only need to use vegetable and bone broth in those extended periods unless you want to. It's up to you. Look, we're looking for success here. What's going to work for you? What's going to make it so that you can see it through those fasting? A classic fast would be a water-only fast, but there are too many of us who want to go down that path. There are some, but you don't need to do that to get results. And even just... The ketogenic type diet, the low carbohydrate, no processed foods, high fat or, you know, medium to high fat with moderate protein, that even gives you results. We're just extending, we're just accelerating those results for you. So let's just recap for those who are looking to start this themselves. Intermittent fasting can be done in a number of ways from a 16 hour all the way up to seven days and beyond. It's important that if you are underweight or really sick with another illness or on blood uh, blood sugar lowering medication, uh, breastfeeding or pregnant, that you're not doing it unless with the medication, you're doing it with your doctor because your doctor will need to lower those meds to avoid a hypoglycemic episode. To begin, if you're unsure Dip your toes in with a 16-hour fast simply by skipping breakfast. If you feel a little bit more like, that's it, I'm going to get in and give it a go, see if you can do a three-day or even just a 24-hour, so a dinner to dinner. And that's how I would approach it. Um, join you, know, you can join our membership, of course, but you could also get online and find a group of people who are already doing it and that's going to give you a lot of encouragement and support is there anything that you would add to that i think you've fairly much covered it all i think the the main thing i want to say is don't feel frightened by it and get your head in the right place that's the way to start and then give it a go it's all about you know you don't have to prove anything to anybody it's all about your journey and what suits you and what suits your lifestyle And you're the one who's going to get the results. Awesome. We will do other episodes later on uh, on the topic because it's really one of the cornerstones alongside the the low-carb, healthy fat and the 12-hour window. So really I see these three things together as the main tools to your toolbox that are going to get you over the line. So we will explore it ongoing. And we will likely have some people come on and talk about some of the success stories. It's been a pleasure once again. Thank you, Suzanne. And here is to your diabetes freedom. This is the Diabetes Freedom Podcast, proudly brought to you by purenutrients.com the type 2 diabetes specialists. Here we discuss the latest science to treat, prevent and reverse type 2 diabetes naturally so you can reclaim your health for a long, healthy and happy life.